Welcome to the Bamboo Pastors Podcast, a podcast that explores the joys and challenges of being an English-speaking pastor in a Chinese church. I'm Jalen Chan, and I'm here with my co-host, John Mon. Hey, everyone. Together, we host the Bamboo Pastors Podcast. We're glad that you're here with us. Come on in and have a seat at the table. Hey, friends. Welcome in. Thanks for joining us on the podcast again. Uh, John, it's so good to talk to you. Good to hear from you. How are you doing? How's your week been? My week is going really well, Jalen. Uh, I'm actually in Chicago right now. This is my first trip back since I moved to the West Coast. I couldn't come back sooner because of some of the Chicago travel restrictions for California, but I'm back now and it's been good. I already had one of my favorite meals since I've been back and I'm breathing that fresh Chicago air. So it's been a good day and a good week looking forward to this trip. How have you been? Uh, Been doing well. Thank you for dropping off some of your favorite food for us. Uh, My wife and I, Jenny, enjoy that a lot. So thank you. Uh, I actually get a break from preaching this week, and so I am really thankful for that. I've got a chance to just chill a little bit more than I than I usually do, and so this is like maybe the third break that I've had since we've been in streaming mode, uh, and so it's definitely a welcome break, but I also miss preaching even just this one week of not having it, so... Preaching every week is already pretty tiring. It takes a lot of energy. And for you to do that with just a few breaks these last six months has been pretty uh, impressive and an encouragement to see your perseverance in that. But I know that even on top of that, you're also doing a lot of the video editing for your church, or at least you were early on. So I know that's, that's pretty resource intensive. So I'm glad that you're faithfully doing that. I'm excited for our guest to the podcast today. We have Jonathan Lau, who is the English pastor at San Francisco Chinese Alliance Church with us. And it's just great to have you on with us, John. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you, John and Jalen. Good to be with you. Yeah, thanks, Jonathan. We're so glad that you're here with us. Hey, so as we start, could you give us just a brief uh, overview or maybe just a, a, the, the story of your journey into ministry and what that was like? Yeah, well, uh, it, it started many moons ago. You know, I grew up in the church, you know, from a Christian family. I think I probably accepted Jesus Christ like 300 times uh, when I was a kid. But it was around around when I was in eighth grade, 13 years old. That's when I uh, made a serious commitment to Jesus. And well, actually, no, it was, it was 11. And then I had a little revival at 13, just growing my faith. And it was when I was 13 that my youth pastor approached me to disciple me. And so I was discipled by my youth pastor at that time. And then sometime in high school, I started having inklings about, oh, maybe God's calling me to full-time ministry. But then, you know, at the same time, my uh, home church down in San Diego went through an awful split. And that kind of discouraged me a little bit about full-time ministry. And then uh, and then at the same time, being a good Asian student kid, my parents told me that I needed uh, internships to, uh, you know, make my college resume look good. And so I, I started interning and, and one of our family friends hooked me up with the Asian Host Committee of San Diego that was doing a party for the Republican National Convention that year. It was a nonpartisan group. They just, a bunch of Republicans were coming into San Diego for the convention. And so they wanted to throw them a party. It was a VIP party. And uh, I got to volunteer on that and was in part of the welcoming team. And I think that was my first time being so close to actual power and actual money <laughs> and so forth. And I have to say, I was a little mesmerized by it. It also helped uh, for a 17-year-old kid to be teamed up with the local college's Asian sorority. Yeah, it was a nice experience in a very worldly sense. And I said, you know what? This is probably something I would like to be a part of. 
after college. And so I figured out that maybe for myself, I was terrible at math. So I'm good at history. I'm good at writing. Maybe I'll pursue a law degree and maybe law degree will, you know, lead to doors that could get me into more of these types of parties, you know, and stuff like that. As you can tell, totally thinking like a 17 year old at that time. And so I forgot about you know, full-time ministry, the whole notion about being pastor. But then God has this way of recapturing you. His grace rescued me from that path. And so, you know, throughout undergrad, I was preparing to go to law school. But then I also started growing my faith, pesky little thing, growing in my faith. And I got more involved with my campus fellowship at the time and also with my church, which was going through a lot of healing at that time. And one thing that I discovered is that I love being with people and I love coming alongside people in their faith journeys. And I like the Bible. I like reading about it. I like talking about it too. And so I just remember my final year in undergrad, I was in a conundrum whether to continue my path towards law school or go to seminary. And I remember distinctly the moment that I chose full-time ministry because I was a student bus driver at that time. You know, it was one of those guys that drive around campus picking up students and taking them to the other end of campus or to their cars in the parking lot and so forth. And I know I should have been paying more attention to the road, but, you know, I was just in the state where I was asking, what do you want me to do, God? So, you know, I I had already, you know, signed up for the LSAT and everything. And and I had already started the process to apply to law school. And, And so I remember I was at an intersection. And as I was turning, I said, you know, Lord, I really have a great sense that you want me to go into pastoral ministry. I'm not 100% sure, but I'm going to decide to go that way. And I will trust you as I go that way. And I remember uh, the feeling of a huge burning being lifted. But then uh, about, about three seconds later, then I started to experience crushing fear. Um, I go like, oh my gosh, what did I just decide to do? Still, you know, recovering from the experience of seeing my church split and what that did to my pastors at that time. And then having funny fears like, you know, if the church begins to be persecuted, they go for the pastors first, you know, and all that stuff. But then I just was like, you know what, I need to follow through on this. And so I started to talk to older Christians, started to pray a lot, started to talking to some trusted big brothers in the Lord. But then I was actually talking to my mom about it. And my mom said this, she she said, you know what, I've always seen you more as a pastor than a lawyer. Well, that ended it. (laughs) I need to go that way. And so I approached my senior pastor at that time, who was my English pastor at that time, actually. He wasn't senior pastor of the church yet. Um, I said, hey, I I think the Lord's calling me to full-time ministry. And so he agreed to mentor me. And then I applied to seminary, Bethel Seminary, San Diego. I wish I could tell people that, you know, the skies rolled back and I saw the throne of God and and then Jesus said, you know, thou shalt be a pastor. I didn't have that experience. And so it was just like, it it was very much more like, ah, God, I don't know, but I have an inkling. I'm going to go by faith and whatever come, you know, Lord, I'll trust you. Kind of, I don't know. (laughs) You know, I was in that state, but, you know, just moving forward, you know, God, started to, you know, confirm through people and through experiences that this is where he wanted me to go. Everything that I've been doing up to that point was in San Diego. I I was such a a local boy that I thought Northern California started north of Oceanside. Uh, And for those of you who don't know the geography of California, Oceanside is still in San Diego County. It's south of LA. And so my, uh, my mentor pastor at that time said, hey, Jonathan, have you ever lived or done anything outside of San Diego? And I said, no. He literally got on his phone, called his friend in Texas, Houston, Texas, who was a pastor at a church there and said, hey, Pastor so-and-so, I know I know you have an internship program at your church. It was West Houston Chinese Church. I have a guy. Do you have a, a space for him to intern at your church? And before I knew it, a week later, I was on a plane to Texas to serve 
uh, at West Houston Chinese Church as an intern for a summer. And that gave me the first taste of what it would be like to be outside San Diego and to follow God and that God's will for me might not be in San Diego. I mean, this whole time I was thinking, I was going to stay in San Diego. I was going to stay at the home church too and everything. So, you know, that was a great experience of, you know, experiencing ministry outside of San Diego. And it was actually at West Houston that I delivered my first sermon too. And so when I got back, I started to contemplate more about going to ministry outside of San Diego. And when I graduated, all the, the staff was full at my home church. And I didn't feel a particular calling to go to another church church in San Diego. And so I started to look outside. And then I started to get a lot of replies from the Bay Area. And so I started interviewing the Bay Area. And in one way or another, they were all connected to San Francisco Chinese Alliance Church. Either uh, a pastor of that church used to go to that church or used to pastor at that church, or that church that I was interviewing was was a church plant of San Francisco Chinese Alliance Church. And that was totally before I had heard anything about San Francisco Chinese Lions Church. And then I got a I got an email from my aunt. She said that her youth pastor had a friend who was pastoring at San Francisco Chinese Lions Church, and they were looking for a youth pastor. And I was like, there's that name again. And then I found out that the pastor of San Francisco Chinese Lions Church, I had met in college because at that time he was a, a mission mobilizer, and he was actually our missions conference speaker. And my dad was on the missions committee that year, and so Wayne actually stayed at my house. And so I saw Wayne, I saw San Francisco China's Lions Church. And I said, yeah, maybe I should, you know, apply to their youth pastor position. And I, I remember writing an email to Wayne going, hey, Wayne, this is Jonathan. Remember me? <laughs> you stayed at my house. And so, um, yeah. And then Wayne said, yeah, I do remember you. And before I knew it, I was getting interviewed by the senior pastor at that time of San Francisco China's Lions Church, Peter Wong. And uh, at first, I didn't think they liked me because uh, I didn't speak Chinese. Peter Wong happened to be staying with his sister up in L.A., visiting uh, his sister-in-law, actually. And so we met in L.A. And so I remember him when he interviewed me, he's like, do you speak Chinese? And I go, like, uh, no. And, <laughs> and so the whole time, like, yeah, so I, I went home from that interview saying, uh, I don't think they I don't think they really like me because I don't speak Chinese. But then lo and behold, about a week later, I, I, I heard back from them. They offered to make me a candidate and I interviewed with the rest of the leaders. And before I knew it, I was the youth pastor at San Francisco Chinese Alliance Church. And that was 16 years ago, uh, October of 2004. So in a, in a couple of weeks, I'll be celebrating my 16th anniversary in, at San Francisco Chinese Alliance Church. Wow, that's awesome. We are super thankful for your faithfulness at your church. You know, the funny thing is, Wayne, who was the, I think he was the English pastor at your church at the time. Right. He actually goes to my church now, and he was instrumental in bringing Ted Kang to SJCAC, probably roughly around that time, too. Yeah. So it's just funny that he's had a pretty huge impact on the churches in the Bay, at least the Alliance churches in the Bay. Yeah. We wanted to hear a little bit about just your time serving at SFCAC, because you went from being the youth pastor for a few years and then kind of transitioned into your role as the English pastor. So what was that transition like, you know, moving from youth ministry into adult ministry? Were there particular joys or challenges that you encountered during that transition or the early part of that time? The biggest thing I remember from that time was 
everything was happening at a lightning quick pace for me in my life. So just going back, I mean, so I, I moved up to San Francisco in 04. And I remember just suffering or experiencing, I should say, some major cultural shock. You know, growing up in San Diego, uh, the, the Chinese community there is not super huge. And there's no Chinatown. You know, often the Chinese church would be the only opportunity for Chinese people to actually come together. Uh, I lived in a, in a non-Chinese neighborhood. And, you know, I just remember in my high school, you know, if I ever attended the Christian club in high school, it would be mostly white people. And I would be the one Asian kid, you know, the one Chinese kid. And I remember coming to San Francisco, first of all, Chinese people are everywhere. And then I remember visiting the, the local Christian club in one of the local high schools as a, as a guest of theirs. And I, I went into the room and it was full of Chinese kids uh, with one token white person, you know, and, and it was just the complete opposite. And, you know, and then, you know, just everywhere you heard Cantonese. And then, you know, there were uh, portions of the church, especially in the English congregation, where they're part of the English congregation but then when they would go out and have a good time they would be speaking Cantonese and I and I came from a, a Chinese church that is very second generation and English is everything you know spoken everywhere even by the Chinese congregations the majority of the staff was all Chinese too and so I, I just remember being youth pastor going like gosh this is very different and having to deal with Chinese speaking parents that primarily spoke Cantonese was a little different for me too but I remember at that time there was such a good youth team and I was really dedicated I really loved you know being a youth pastor at that time and I didn't think I was ever going to become an English pastor or in any kind of adult ministry I remember telling myself in 04 and 05 I think I'm going to do this for life youth pastor you know but then I also I also told myself that year that I wasn't going to go dating anybody I was going to totally focus on ministry and within a few months I met my wife and we started dating. And so that's why I say lightning, because a lot of changes were happening in my life. I moved to a new city. I had my first girlfriend, really my first job, you know, that was not a bus job or a retail job. And so, you know, a lot of things were changing. And then, gosh, I think I was only youth pastor for maybe like two and a half years. And then sometime in 06, uh, Wayne confided to us that he was sensing the Lord's call to Asia. And so, and so I remember that was happening. And at the same time, that's when I got engaged. And then I just remember early on in the process when Wayne first left and then I just got married that the church approached me and asked if I would consider being English pastor. And I said, no, the youth ministry is my life. And then, you know, just, and then a year, almost a year went by. And then having been part of like the interim team and then seeing the needs, the general needs of our church, especially the English congregation, I think the Lord started to work in my heart about like, I think you need to expand your horizons a little bit. And so about a year later, after the search process had not bore any fruit, uh, they asked me again. And then I said, yes, this time I'll throw my name in the hat. It was actually, I would say it was an even more intense interview than the interview for the youth pastor. I became very acquainted that the expectations were a lot more intense for the English pastor. And I have to say the transition was, was rough. I was 27 at that time. Not that age is everything, but, you know, life experiences. And the thing is, is that I was entering a ministry where I was going to be ministering to people that were 20 to 30 years older than me. <laughs> I just remember, like, within that first year, someone came to my office 
office made an appointment with me and he came up to me and said, there's one thing that I really have heard from the Lord to tell you, you are not full of the Holy Spirit. And I'm like, what do you say? I mean, like, I just remember trying to be humble about it. At that time, I think I said, yeah, I, I, you know, I, you know, I was a young guy, you know? And so I think I agreed with him. It was my way of not making it more awkward, I guess. Uh, but I remember going home so deflated after that. And I go like, what does that even mean? Uh, you know, looking back, you know, it was always clear. And, you know, I, I was still a young guy and I still had a lot to grow. And there, I would say that if I had to do anything different, that I should have prayed more. So maybe it was, maybe he was speaking the truth, but I just remember it, it didn't come across the most gentle way. And so uh, it was a humbling experience. It, it was, it was hard. I, you know, I, I went from being a once every month Sunday speaker to almost, you know, week after week. And and it showed, you know, at first they were, you know, kind of excited to see a young guy become the English pastor. But then after a while, you started seeing people like going like, oh, he's not, you know, he's not Wayne, you know, and so especially for a guy who's still kind of fresh out of seminary, you think you can conquer the world. I think in the first time in my life, I really had to de deal with failure. You know, it was almost like clockwork that almost every three or four months, a family would come to me and say, you know, we appreciate you, Jonathan. We love you a lot, but the Lord is calling us to move to another church. And, <laughs> and I'm like, oh, okay. So you get a little, uh, you, you start expecting that. And in, for me, for a good couple of years, it was maybe every three to four months. And so you start doubting yourself. And then the funny thing is that because it was the first time in my life that I've actually was kind of failing on something you know at least in my mind I was failing at something because you know throughout the years high school college it was a bit of a golden boy a little you know like everybody's like, oh yeah Jonathan's the responsible one you know all that stuff kind of started to discover how much I, cl I clung to that identity and, and once it was starting to get holes poked into it I was starting to collapse um, it was around 2010 the end of 2010 that I actually burned out really really bad my esteem my whatever you want to call it was at an absolute zero. But God was gracious. That was actually the time that I was supposed to take a sabbatical. But here was the thing, because I was failing in my eyes, instead of going to the Lord, I just was going back to what I thought worked. And that was, I need to buckle down and work harder. I need to get better at everything. I, only, I need to prove to these people that I could do this, you know? And I ended up burning myself out totally. And I went up to uh, the senior pastor at that time and I was like, I need to get out. And he said, well, you're three months sabbatical because it's been seven years now. Why don't you take your sabbatical now? So I disappeared from the church and I was in a journey of healing, getting a reacquainted with grace. I remember confiding to my dad during that season that because I was going through so much uh, inner pain, mental turmoil, emotional turmoil. It was the first time I, was, I think I was actually really suffering in life and, and there was nobody but the Lord to turn to. It was only, you know, just going hard after Jesus that I told my dad, I think I finally know what it is to be a Christian now. So that was the that was the transition. That was my first, you know, so 2000, 2010, that was my first three years as an English pastor. And and during that, during that sabbatical time, I didn't know if I was going to come back. But you know, God is faithful. Every day there was something to pick me up. Even and I was down on the dot. I, I hit rock bottom. I was depressed, full of anxiety. I thought I was going to die. I was having chest pains because I was having panic attacks. I've never had panic attacks before that. There was a word. He would bless me with a word, or he would bring someone right at the right moment to encourage me. And uh, and then I got to thank God for my wife because she stuck by me thick and thin through it all. And she was 
understanding. Uh, she sacrificed a lot. Uh, we had only one kid at that time. So that kind of made things a little bit more difficult. You know, we were first time parents too at the same time. And then we were expecting a, another one. And so that kind of made my anxiety a little bit more tense because I go like, oh my gosh, I'm going to be a father of two and I'm like this. But then I started to build a support system around me, but also professional helpers too as well. And looking back at it, when I came out of it, I still sense God calling me back to San Francisco Chinese Alliance Church. And I came back new. I don't know how new. You know, there's still a lot of things that I struggle with. But with the right thing, I was fixing my eyes less about me, but more on him and just really being more, a lot more realistic about how weak I was. One thing that came out of that was really praiseworthy was that I praise God all the time. Before that season, when people came up to me and said, oh, I'm depressed, I'm, you know, suffering and I'm struggling with anxiety, I would put on a good pastor face and say, oh, I will pray for you. But inside, I'll be like, yeah, get over it, man. Life is good, you know? And then after that season, I was at a place finally where I, when people would come up to me and I, I could come alongside them, not, not necessarily say anything, but at least listen and pray and, and have an inkling of the intensity of it all. Yeah, thanks for your transparency and for your openness. I think that, you know, as you were sharing that, I I would imagine that a lot of pastors go through that. And I think particularly in the Chinese church, there is that mindset of we're just going to buckle down and work harder rather than finding our rest in Jesus. Mm -hmm. And so I'm thankful that you had that opportunity where you could go straight to sabbatical. And then, as you said, go hard after God, because I think, as you were saying, you I think that in a lot of cases, pastors will just burn out and they'll leave ministry. But here you are now, 10 years after that, and still at the same church. What practices have helped you to cultivate longevity in ministry, and particularly in the same church, even through going through that experience? One of the things I learned, and I still try to practice as much as I can, is to establish a good rhythm of work, family, and especially time with God throughout and to abide by that rhythm. And what that looks like is honoring Sabbath, whether that's, well, most pastors can't take their Sabbath on the traditional day of Christian Sabbath, a Sunday. So uh, Monday is when I shut off for, for the most part, you know, sometimes I'm not, I don't behave and I do a little ministry on Monday, but uh, for the most part, I shut down on Monday. Uh, I mean, I, I don't look at email. Uh, I try not to go on my phone too much. Uh, and then when I get a, a you know, ex extended vacation, I've learned to take all of it, you know? If the church gives you two weeks, take all of it, you know? If it gives you six weeks, take all of it, you know? And also, it's just something that I learned was, you know, and what, something that I'm still learning is to find my identity so much in Jesus that what other people may think or say about you ultimately don't matter because you know who you are in Jesus. And it's it's been a, a process of learning not to base my identity on my work, on my ministry, or how people view me, but really just, you know, find rest that, Christ has called me into his presence, that the father calls me his child, and just really sink into that. There was an English pastor here, two English pastors ago at San Francisco Alliance Church, that his favorite phrase was, snuggle up with Jesus. And I remember hearing that for the first time, going, oh my gosh, what kind of wimpy saying is that, you know? But God has his way of humbling you. And now, you know, I, I treasure those moments where I could snuggle up to Jesus. And, and sometimes that's just like falling asleep. Sometimes I'm, I'm on, you know, 17 hours a day and, you know, you don't really get that much sleep and, you know, have a day or just allow yourself to go to sleep and, and to sleep in Christ's presence. Uh, you know, just say, Jesus, I, I you know, Jesus, I'm praying to you, but I might fall asleep, but I know that's okay. 
because that's probably what you want me to do right now. But it's no use to talk to me. Have you ever been in those kind of like, you know, you know, you're, you're going to hang out with a friend and they're super tired and they're falling asleep on you. And as a, as a true friend, you can just say, hey, just go to sleep. It's all good. You'd rather have your friend sleep than just try to talk to you with half closed eyes, you know. So <laughs> I, I think that's been a big part of moving forward. And, and also, I, I, I can't say enough about the people my, my family here at SFCAC, it's just been grace from day one. I, I mean, yeah, there, there were the people that, you know, were not particularly satisfied with my ministry, you know, and they, you know, and, you know, you know, God led them to other places or, or, or maybe God even changed their mind about me. I don't, I don't know. But then there's been this core, uh, a sizable core, uh, a group of people here who have just been great cheerleaders. Oh man, I can't say enough about them. They're they're my brothers, and and, and my senior pastor Peter Wong. You know, in the past, uh, I mean, he's retired now. We're in a new uh, new season uh, of pastoral leadership here. But speaking of a guy who who's had experience and longevity, I mean, when he retired, it was the end of almost thirty years at SOCAC. He knew what I was going through, and there was a lot of grace, a lot of mercy a lot of understanding. And I think if I didn't have that grace or understanding from my church family, I don't think I would have been able to come out the way I did. Wow. Thanks for sharing that, John. I know that in ministry, we all stay at the churches we're at, you know, as long as God has us there. And so when he moves us, he moves us. But I think all of us have a desire for longevity and a desire to stay in the same place and see the fruit of what God is doing there. And that really requires having like a healthy approach to ministry. And I really like how you described that rhythm of of work and rest and family time. And yeah, I just think that there's a lot of people who are in ministry, whether that's full-time vocational ministry or even, you know, serving as a lay person that needs to understand and and put that into practice, what it looks like to, to rest well and have this healthy rhythm. You know, for me, I'm, I'm curious just because you've been at your church for 16 years that you've probably seen a lot of different changes and maybe trends or even just cycles of different, you know, seasons in the, the life of your church, whether it's maybe a lot of young people or a lot of the same life stage, you know, everyone's having kids around the same time or things like that. What are some of those patterns that you've seen in your time in, at the church? The life of a church is cyclical. I mean, there's seasons when your church enjoys being the popular church on the block a little bit, and people are coming into, you know, your worship services. And and then there are seasons where you're not the bell of the ball anymore. And there's a new church plant that, you know, God, God bless them. You know, they, they start, you discover, yeah, you're no longer the bell of the ball. It's another younger, younger church thing, you know? <laughs> and so, and, and I, I've been, I've been around to see that happen like three times, you know? So one of my philosophies is, yeah, you know, until you hear different marching orders, you know, just stay where God has you. And, you know, just through the bumps and bruises and everything, just fix your eyes on him. And at the same time, you know, that that means developing a really tough hide, you know? (laughs) I read a blog from Ken Fong down in SoCal that I found very helpful. And, and he talked about how change is inevitable in churches and how seminary never prepared you for the amount of loss that you will experience as a pastor because seasons change, people come and go, and they will go for myriads of reasons. Something, sometimes it has to do with you, sometimes it won't. Sometimes it has to do with just, you know, changes in life, you know, person loses their job, or they can't afford living in San Francisco anymore, you know, 
they have to do what's best for their family and they got to heed God's voice in their lives too as well. And so one thing that Ken Fung that I really appreciated from his blog, he goes like, you know, at the end of his experience as a pastor for like, I don't know, 40, 50 years, or I don't know how long he's been pastoring. He really learned what it meant to hold on to people lightly and cling on to Jesus tightly. And, and so ever since I read that blog, and I, I think I also was reading Dietrich Bonhoeffer around the same time, Life Together, where he talks about that essentially that the standing order is to go. And so you cherish the fellowship you have right now because God may scatter it for his purposes. And it's only until we reach heaven that we'll experience that fellowship that will last forever. And so reading those two things at the same time, it, it helped me gain perspective about how to handle these changing seasons. And when people leave on Moss or when people come to your church on Moss and when I first got to this church, there was a lot of people my age and then through the changes and, you know, different life changes and also changes in the church and pastoral leadership, people have come and gone. And then we went through a season where, you know, it seemed like, oh my gosh, we're losing people all the time. And then we went through a season where we're like, oh, all these new people are coming. Uh, but then, you know, due to the nature of San Francisco, some of these families wanted to start families in SF because of the cost of living here is sometimes not conducive to that. And so people start moving away again. And so you kind of just learn that this is, you know, God has a purpose for it. And it's not a reflection. It's not always about you and a reflection of you. You know, it might be just his will. You know, you hold on to people lightly and you cling on to Jesus tightly. But while they're with you, you love on them. So I've learned to, you know, just be more at ease with all that. But, you know, it still hurts when, especially when you see people that, you know, you love and, they were so instrumental as a church leader and, and they're crying. They don't want to go either. And, and then, you know, you're like, Oh, you know, why do you have to move? Well, it's because, you know, I want to raise a family. you know, And so you know, it's just like, and so you bless them and then they go. And uh, the friendship is a friend's a friend forever. The Lord's the Lord of them. Right. <laughs> to quote yeah. one of the classic songs out there, Michael W. Smith. Yeah, that's a good word. I think definitely it's, it is important to have that, that faithfulness, sort of perspective of continuing to, to hold tightly to Jesus and whatever season we're going through, whatever season our church is going through to maintain that faithfulness and to keep our eyes fixed on him. Right. Uh, and Jonathan, we've really appreciated your time with us. What is one piece of advice or encouragement that you would give to someone that's serving in a Chinese church? Oh boy. <laughs> Chinese churches are a great place to develop grace. And I'm sure that's, True of everywhere else, but you know, there, you know, there, there is something to the fact that you're in a multicultural setting, a multilinguistic setting, uh, a multi-generational setting, usually. And the truth is, is that the worldviews differ, and and they sometimes differ on the staff level too. And so sometimes you do come across places where you know you just are speaking a different language, both literally and metaphorically, and and it's so easy to make everything us versus them, you know even within the church. One of the things that I've learned is, you know, these are opportunities for grace. Love the person. I think a big idol for a lot of us pastors is our agenda, our vision, our mission. There are points in your ministry where you got to learn how to let that go. And it's mm -hmm. about, you know, how can I be the best brother or sister or best pastor to these people? Because at the end of the day, uh, when a person is hurting, they would care less about your 2020 vision or whatever, you know? Uh, not saying that those aren't important. You should have those. But the primary call, at least the way I see it, of a pastor is to be a shepherd. And there are times where the shepherd needs to drop everything and go after that one sheep. And uh, no matter, you know, 
yeah, oh no, it'll derail our plans for 2020. Well, you know, this year more than any it has taught us that, you know, at the end of the day, Jesus is calling us to love him and love others and to go and make disciples. And, and so what if you can't do that one project you were planning to do, you know? So that, that's what I do say, you know, learn how to have grace. And, and it starts with you. I mean, the only person you can change is yourself. You know, the only person you can be involved in the changing is yourself. Uh, you can't change the other person, you know, oh, pastor so-and-so should think this way more. And, you know, you know, no, at the end of the day, it's, it's you, the only person that you're responsible for in changing is yourself, you know, going to God and saying, you know, like, where do I need to change? Yeah, you, you can't force change on anybody else. Thanks, John, for just sharing your wisdom with us and sharing your story. I appreciate that. You really did that with authenticity and vulnerability. And so we appreciate you coming on our podcast and hanging out with us. Thanks for coming on. Thank you for having me, guys. I, I mean, I'm so, I was so excited to hear about this podcast getting launched and then to be uh, asked to be on it. I'm very honored. Glad to have you, Jonathan. Thanks. That's the end of our episode. Thanks for joining us today on the Bamboo Pastors Podcast. Make sure to subscribe to the pod on whatever platform you listen to us on. Rate and review us and check in every week as we explore the joys and challenges of ministry in the Chinese church. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Bamboo Pastors. See you next time.